said it half the words you think the dogs are going to shut up at some point mm, yeah they'll probably give up just be sad i'm about ready to give up myself so mm, never give up never surrender never surrender and let me tell you something partner what was that i had a little <laughs> the fuck? Like, whoa, whoa. um <laughs> see yes there they go that's right um what are you going to tell me I was going to tell you that the last week or so, and I feel like I say this every time, I'm just like, was an exercise in <clears throat> pushing through my own depression and anxiety and uh, soul-crushing fear of the future, <clears throat> and uh, I got through it. So basically a norm- normal week. Right, a regular week yeah. for me. Okay. Uh, so maybe we'll talk about for that. For all of us, maybe. Talk about DopeyCon. Oh yeah, we didn't talk about that last time, right? No, I think it happened just before. So yeah, yeah, some stuff to say about that. Okay, and we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X, and I'm Mike Er. And boy, do we have a show for you mm-hmm. today on RMA. We discuss Russell Brand's magnum opus, Recovery, and try to suss out just what it is that Russell is attempting to say. <laughs> and we wrap up DopeyCon and all things recovery. All this and more today on a very very special edition of RMA. Hey, what's up, dude? Uh, here we are. <laughs> Do I sound, is this really loud? Or is that just me uh, being loud? I think loud? it's just in your can is yeah. loud, your cans. <clears throat> oh, I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm excited to be here. Um, we need to talk first, though. Yes. We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. We do. We do. Okay. Um, talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult. I know. Uh, and you know who can help? Who? Our friends at Soberlink. Thank Our God. friends at Soberlink want to help. Uh, if you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or a loved one, Soberlink can help. All right. Yeah. Soberlink is a high-tech uh, portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify your identity so you can't hold the... You can have, have somebody you, else blow into the device for you. It can also detect human breath. <laughs> yeah, you could have, yeah. I guess people could have their dogs blow into it's it. It's actually right? set up so that it detects if you have your Labrador breathing into it. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that ties into to its second feature, which is that it has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used. Right. Like your cat, your dog, one of your kids. When I said to Grant when he was talking about it, I said, wow, they really know alcoholics. <laughs> right. <laughs> At some point in development, there's like a scientist and a technician going, wait a second. Yeah. Can this detect if some alcoholic gets his dog to breathe on it? And they're like, no, back to formula. Well, they definitely workshop this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, it's definitely disrupting an industry. Um, it also sends results directly to your specified contacts. So if you could, you want to put your boss on there, you could put your wife on there. Probation you put officer. Your probation officer, I suppose. Anybody, right? Yeah. So there's no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. Uh, and that's why Soberlink's uh, remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the the gold standard of alcohol monitoring systems. Um, Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career 
or your life for that matter, uh, let Soberlink help. You can learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting www.soberlink.com slash middle hyphen ages. Hyphen? Yeah. Did they come up with that? I guess. Guys, maybe not the hyphen, but it's okay. It's all right. We will put a link in the show notes. The link will be in the show notes. And I'd just like to say- And um, that's our advertising. I'd like to today. welcome Soberlink to the RMA family. I'd like to welcome our Soberlink overlords. I, for one, <laughs> would like to welcome our Soberlink overlords. Yeah, yeah, they listen carefully to each show and make sure we don't say anything, you know, Well, they actually, they actually asked me if I would, if I would clip the, the ad portion and send it to them. Oh. So they can ensure that we're not <laughs> disparaging Soberlink in some way. Oh, we would never. And in fact, I'm actually, I like this product. I like the idea. You know, we first heard about it when Grant came on the show, I think initially, and said, I'm doing this Soberlink things, yeah. you know, for accountability. He was just doing it like because he wanted his family to know that, you know, in fact, he was doing what he was supposed to. And yeah. it's a great way of verifying that. And I never even thought it. about the... Uh, you know, the, the, the work angle, right? Like, I guess if you're like a, sorry, if you're a, um, a, if you work in an industry that it's very important that you're sober while you're working. So maybe not bartenders, but perhaps like truck drivers, delivery folks, you know? Yeah. You know, sometimes you get in a situation where, you know, you don't get fired when you have some kind of alcoholic meltdown, but they give you an opportunity, usually, right. depending on how naked yeah, you got. They put you on probation, yeah. right? Yeah, this is put, can work as part of that. I don't know. It's a great idea. Uh, it's like a, definitely a, a disruption in the typical uh, uh, industry of this kind of this sort. So, uh, you know, excellent. Check them out. Check them out. That's soberlink.com slash middle hyphen ages. Okay, right. and uh, this episode is also brought to you by the Recovering the Middle Ages Patreon. What is a Patreon? I don't know. It's a members-only subscription service featuring Discord, private message, chat, and video. It's a meeting platform for all patrons. It's like having a recovery support family right at your fingertips. Members will also get extra mini-shows, pictures, video, exclusive merchandise for joining, and an added level of support for recovery. Go to patreon.com slash Ages to learn more and sign up today. I just posted a picture of uh, Mike and myself at the studio, which we do to the uh, Patreon, so you can get a... A bird's eye view on uh, what we're up to here. Mike's got this amazing T-shirt on. No, I love it. It's not amazing. I think it's amazing. It yeah. says, "We'll fix it in post." Yeah. So, because that's that's what we do. Post production. Yeah. Right? So, All of the, uh, the the horrible racist jokes and everything that get slipped by, where they just cut yeah. just cut it all cut right it. out, <laughs> slip by the censors. Yep. Uh, sorry, we don't make racist jokes because we're not racist. So now I have something to cut out. All right. Great. Great. Do you have something to say? I just had one thing that I was really, really bursting at the seams to say. If that dog doesn't shut the fuck up, I'm going upstairs and I'm going to wring its neck. Welcome to all the monsters listening stateside, around the world, down the street, across the table, and right next door. Welcome all. Settle in, buckle up, and get ready for excitement, comedy, tragedy, intrigue, mystery, and so much more. Where can they find us? Mike. (laughs) He said that my name in a vaguely threatening manner. <laughs> it was uh, threatening overtones to the way. I, yeah. uh, recovery.com Buy a t-shirt. Somebody did last week. Yes. Thank you. Um, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, the usual places. Um, YouTube? Yeah. We get, does the show post there? The show, if you prefer listening through YouTube, which a lot of people apparently do, 
our show is on. It's no crazy videos. It's really just the show, but you can listen through YouTube. So I've kind of laid I've kind of laid off posting videos mm. the last few weeks because I went to um, Vimeo and I looked at our view count for some of those videos. Yes, it's like two, three. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I don't it know. Count, like, if we take the link and embed it, and it must, right? They can see uh, any I kind of think play. You, yeah, I think they see any kind of play. So, if you guys want to see more videos, just drop us a note. You can email me at mikeartmiddleagesrecovery.com because I have the equipment. I can set it up. It's just editing video is it's a lot. like pulling fucking teeth. It's <laughs> it's not as easy as just editing audio, which I can do this in like an hour. Yeah. But uh, video takes a lot longer. So I'd rather not do it if no one's watching it. But if somebody really wants to watch it, I'm happy to do it. Well, I like the idea of video, um, but it is a lot of work for, you know, if not a lot of people are, are watching it, but... If for the future, I have this vision of us doing our show in a studio like this with real cameras, and we could, you know, post the show on both. I mean, I, in the future, I have the equipment. It's not the equipment's not the issue. It's, we have the uh, team. We got the talent. It's the time. It's and always time. Uh, I don't know where our recovery meetings are right now. Probably nowhere. Mm. So. Yeah, we, we'll try and work on that. That's another thing. If you're a monkster out there and you want to get involved in uh, recovering with your fellow monksters, um, we were doing a, uh, a recovery meeting every Sunday and schedules just kind of got screwed up. And so we're looking for a new time and for new participants to come and join us. We've got a great group and uh, I'm hoping to get there soon. Yeah, so leave us a review. Five-star review would be great. Uh, the Apple Podcast app, please. You can tell us your story either through the website or call the RMA hotline at 516-888-6297. 516-888-6297. Uh, leave us a three-minute, three to five-minute message to tell us your story. We haven't got one of those since May. Yeah. So I don't know if that's because of our irregular schedule is causing listeners to run screaming to other pod recovery podcasts, which are more interesting it's, and more regular. Yeah. Or if um, people are just a little shy about leaving a recorded message on a phone. I'm not sure. I know that our downloads are in good shape. Like there's a lot looked. of people listening more than before, maybe. And <laughs> more than before is good. <laughs> it's great. It's an improvement. Um, so yeah, reach out guys, be part of the show. We love talking about your stories and, and it really adds a lot to the show. It does. Um, great reviews will be read on the air. You said that. I did say that. Okay. It's time to tell, tell the people what we've been doing with our miserable lives for the last couple of weeks. What have we been doing? <laughs> um, well, the big one that you all know about was DopeyCon. I actually got, which is really like- What's DopeyCon, Matt? It's a- Addiction Recovery Entertainment Convention centering around the Dopey Podcast. That was pretty good. Yeah. You know? Um, but that's really what it was. It was a lot of Dopey fans. Uh, it was all in New York City in this church. Um, it was really cool. And um, I got to meet Jenny, uh, who's the one that bought the shirt. Awesome. Longtime fan. It was so great to meet her. And it really like, and some of you monsters, you've had a couple of meetups so, like, getting people in real life when you're used to just interacting, you know, through your phone or, you know, it gave me anxiety, but it was really great and really inspiring, actually. That's cool, um, man. And I got to see some of my favorite authors. Erin Carr spoke, and I was too nervous to talk to her. I'm such a schmuck. I don't know. It's like she was talking to somebody else, and I didn't want to interrupt, and I'm like, well, what am I going to say? I love your book. I mean, what is she, it? What, what was the book? Uh, it was Strung Out. 
Okay. Really good book. Yeah. She will come on the show. Okay. Um, she didn't say yes yet, but um, it's funny because Dave's- <laughs> So come said, on the show. Yeah. Dave said, he's like, you want her on the show? And I said, you know, yeah. Um, it'd be great to discuss her book. Um, I got to meet a lot of the dopiates, the dopey fans who were really there for me, you know, before this show and, uh, you know, during COVID, uh, just people who are really just genuine, you know, and, and I start to doubt friends like that, you know, just when you don't meet them in real per in like real life, because I don't know, it doesn't seem real. Yeah. So to be able to like meet some of these people who, you know, I've been talking to and um, recovering with basically for the past couple of years. It was just, it was really cool. A little nervous. I had some social anxiety, but uh, Joe Schrank spoke. Um, oh, he was there? Yep. Aaron Carr. Does he live in New York? I thought he lived elsewhere. Uh, I don't know. Anyway. Um, also, they had um, Maya Zalowitz. Right. Zalowitz. She's also said she would come on the show. She's another one I was, uh, I think she took off after she spoke because I didn't see her. Mm. Um Besides that, you know, Dave was there, of course, and uh, he was the master's ceremony, so I got to uh, pal around with him a little bit, and um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was really cool, and it just, it inspired me, like, wow, there's a real community out there. There's people who are interested in this, and they want to recover, and they like podcast. I mean, it was just really inspiring. <laughs> yeah. uh, important question, was yeah. there a pastrami from Katz's? Oh, my God. That's good stuff. So, maybe the best part of DopeyCon was Dave had Katz's Deli, which is a famous Jewish deli from New York, if you don't know. It's been there a million years, and everybody raves about these pastrami sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I've never eaten a Katz's pastrami me. sandwich. How old are you? You've never been to Katz's? <laughs> I'm old enough to know better, yeah. Um, never been there. Oy vey. Um, vey shmir. And um, yeah, I got my first Katz's pastrami sandwich. And let me tell you guys out there, if you doubt... How amazing these pastrami sandwiches are. Doubt no longer because it is as good as advertised. It's, it's a meat orgasm. Oh my God. It's like, it's almost like just sliced, like the best steak in the world sliced really thin with mustard Melts and rye in the bread. Mouth. Melts Ugh. in the mouth. So that was a lot of fun. And, you know, thanks to Dave for uh, putting that together. Um, and we, we should do something like that. <laughs> I don't think we have as many people. I mean, it's if, a couple hundred listen, people. If there's pastrami, I, I'll, I will go. Yeah. To it, our own thing. It was really cool. Um, so, um, so do you know um, Grant and Elizabeth met up last weekend? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. That's so cool. The up Monster in, Meetup. Up in Boston, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, you know, I'd like to do stuff like that. I wish I had um, time. more time, you know, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's really great. Yeah. Um, People are getting together and who knows, maybe we can get our lives together to a point where we can do a weekend, you know, just great. Yeah. Just something. Some kind of retreat. I could use a retreat. Yeah. Um, hey, how was the Mets game? Yes. So I went to the Mets game on Saturday night, Sunday night, Sunday night. It was, uh, the game was terrible uh, because <laughs> it was the Mets yeah. and, you know, Meet the Mets. I, I, Step right up and meet the Mets. Bring the kitties. Bring the wife. Guaranteed to have the time of your life. Da, 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 da. Remember that? <laughs> I do, but I am a Yankees fan, unfortunately. Yeah, so am I. But uh, so, so somebody from the local parent group posted the tickets were available on the parent group. So 
I'm like, wow, 300 a ticket for wildcard playoffs seems like a lot of money. What kind of seats were they? They were 300 levels. So I, I go on to StubHub and I find the section, same section seats available for 150. Same so, section? Same section. So we bought those instead. Um, and shame on that person for trying to rip off somebody in the neighborhood. But It's a Shonda. A what? A Shonda. I'm not familiar with that Yiddish term. It's a shame. Oh. Look at you. You're a Shonda <laughs> to your family. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorites. It's great. Yeah. So we went. Uh, it was my son Dimitri was home for the college break. They now have a break in the fall. They call it the fall break. Didn't he just? Wasn't he just? Yeah, home? six weeks ago. Okay, uh, he left for college and now he came back. How's he doing? Um, hmm. He's it's it's a bit of a uh, steep adjustment for him. He's having a hard time making friends, and classes work is a little challenging and. He didn't really do much in high school, like academically. So right. I think he finds the fact that he now has to write five page papers to be yeah. daunting. Um, it's sort of like, yeah. you know, putting a, a chimpanzee behind the, the space shuttle controls and saying, fly this thing, would you? <laughs> Not that he's like a champion. champion. Nice. I mean, you know what I mean? Nice. Um, I get it. But anyway, so uh, things got weird for me in the seventh inning. I... Um, we're sitting there, we're watching the game, and it's a terrible game. The Mets are like collapsing as, as they're wont to do at this mm. point of the year. And he's like, "Dad, can you uh, can you buy me a beer?" Dun dun dun. Yeah. So, so of course you didn't. You I told them alcohol I would like, is bad. I would like to young. say that I said absolutely not and all that, but um, yeah. I, I looked at it this way: uh, it was the seventh inning. Beer sales end at the end of the seventh inning. Right. Uh, I don't keep alcohol in the house at home. So best case scenario, he drinks, and we were going to leave at the top of the eighth. He drinks half a beer, throws the other half in the garbage, and we go home and he gets to feel, you know, so like, was- like a baseball guy for for 20 minutes. At least that this was the thought process going on in my head right. when I went up to the counter to buy the beer. Which and, and part of this, I also wonder how much of this was me just wanting to live out my fantasy of being at a baseball game with your son and, with my, and going up and buying a beer. You know, there's a million places to buy beer. There are like oh, the, yeah. not too many places to buy soda and it's just fucking ballpark soda. It's gross. Yeah. They had a huge sign in the outfield, Heineken zero zero. Not a single place did they sell it in the stadium. Seriously? Yeah. They're just advertisers, yep, but they don't just sell advertise it. it, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I buy a Corona and because it's the end of the seventh inning, um, I have to buy, I had to pee also because I'm a middle-aged man and it's the seventh inning and I was stretching, stretching my bladder basically. And I said, uh, so I bought the beer first and that ended up being a mistake because then I had to walk around the concourse with the beer in my hand open because they open it for you. (laughs) Yeah, you're not allowed to. And I'm, and I'm looking at it, and it's sweating, mm. and it's looking really good, and it was a nice t- Corona tall boy. And I go into the bathroom, and the stall opens up. All the urinals were full. The stall is open. I go in, I set the beer down, and it's just me and the Corona <laughs> in the stall with the door shut. This is risky behavior, Mike. Yeah. Risky. And I started sweating, you know? Like, yeah. I started thinking, okay. I'm sitting. I'm sitting. Nobody's looking. Nobody's looking. Right. Nobody would ever know if I just took a big slug. Yeah. And then, you know, just a slug. Like I wouldn't have to, you know, tell anybody or yeah. reset the timer or the clock or whatever. You know, and 
I <laughs> in the time it took my ancient bladder to start working, I had kind of worked through the thought process and right. got to the point where I was like, this is a stupid idea. It's very stupid of you to have a bought this beer for your son. Yeah. B carried it into a bathroom and locked yourself locked. in a stall <laughs> by yourself with a giant sweaty beer. <laughs> and, uh, and C to even think about, you know, to start drinking at, at a Mets game of all things where yeah. they were losing. Um, that's when you drink. That's why Mets fans are alcoholics. Certainly the two guys behind me were. That's <laughs> <laughs> no question. Yeah. Um, it was funny though. Everybody was really rowdy and, and, uh, and all like full of life yeah. until the second inning. And then nobody. What, it just got boring or something? It was boring. Yeah, it's it baseball. Boring. I mean. But um, I brought the beer back. I gave it to him. And it exactly it transgressed. I mean, it proceeded exactly how I expected. Mm. Well, it's good that Took you Took a few slugs off the beer, yeah. threw it away on the way out, and went to bed and we got home. And, you know, I remember sitting in this very seat two months ago, excoriating my sister-in-law for buying a drink for my other kid right or pushing not buying but like giving him a uh, one of those hard seltzers yeah. but i mean he's 14 right and Big to me there's a difference between 14 and 18 especially a kid in college you you right. just assume there's no drinking age when they go to college well and the in the postscript to that story or the prescript to that story is the day he got home, the next day, he and I drove around looking at guns. <laughs> I'm like dad of the year. Um, we just went to a couple of uh, gun stores because I was looking for a 22 for target practice and stuff. Yeah. But um, but we had a very frank conversation about drugs and alcohol. And it was really um, more than, he really opened up about like his pot use in, in high school mm. and the amount of drinking that he did in high school, which contrary to appearances, apparently wasn't all that much. And, um, you know, and how he doesn't really like alcohol and stuff. And, and, you know, it, the, he, he's a funny kid because he's not like, he won't lie. Like if I ask him, like, he just lies what, by omission. Basically. No, I, if I ask him like, you know, what, he, what is he doing in school? Is he smoking? Is he drinking? You know, he'll, he'll tell me, you know, like he, oh, like he doesn't, you know, he won't change his behavior in response to anything I say, right. <laughs> say to him. He doesn't volunteer yeah. it though. I mean, he doesn't say, no, Hey dad, I had a, actually he was, he was sort of volunteer. He, the thing is like, I'm a little worried about him and, 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 and a lot of kids his age, boys, especially who came through this COVID yeah. situation and were in high school and were isolated for a couple of years. And I, and you know, from, from the chatter on the parent group at, at Scranton, I, I can, tell that it's he's not the only one that has to stay in the room and not right. meet people kind of thing like when i was in college the idea of staying in a room was like anathema like my my, my yeah. door would be open oh, yeah. i mean there was no especially when you're in the dorms your yeah. first year you're you meet all these people at orientation throwing yeah. the hacky sack and introducing <laughs> yourself sack. where are you from you know yeah that's what he he calls like schools like bennington beanbag schools and i'm like <laughs> i'm like is that from hacky sack like i'm trying to figure out where that's from maybe beanbag uh, toss i don't know but um so, uh, you know, I don't, so he's not going out at school. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So you're almost like, I wish he would kind of like get out there a little yes. bit, even if it meant not too much. having a, a beer. Right. Yeah. You know? Um, I so I don't know. I feel, I feel a little funny about it. I, you know, we got home and, uh, cause Aaron was like, I don't think she was happy about it in the beginning cause she was there too. Um, but he asked me, he didn't ask her because he knows that I'm the softy, I guess. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I get that. Too. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I told Aaron, I said, you know, I almost, I almost drank that beer. You yeah. Know? And, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, but, I don't want to say you shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. I, I, you know? I shouldn't, I shouldn't have, I don't know if it was wrong, but I shouldn't have done it. And I don't think I'm going to do it again. Um, I probably wouldn't, but you know, the good thing that came out of the, and, and I had a similar experience. I wasn't in a Mets game, but the ability now for you to sit there in that scenario and actually talk yourself through it. Yeah. That's huge. I couldn't have done that five years ago. That's yeah. Be, same, same here. You know, the craving and the impulse completely outweighed any kind of mm-hmm. thinking I could do. And so that, I mean, that's the good news, but you know, were I your tandem sponsor, he, he, I would tell you. I should have called you. Yeah, but I should, should have, have called done. me from the bathroom. I'm yeah. in the stall. <laughs> I'm looking. Yeah. I would have said, probably not a great idea. You know, maybe don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I understand, you know, what you were doing though. Like, and I might have done that too, because, you know, I, I have the same thing, this romanticized idea of a father and a son mm-hmm. sharing a beer. You're at a baseball game, seventh right. inning stretch. Here you go, son. Right. And and you're yearning to connect with, with Dimitri because, you know, he's going away to college and you're trying to like kind of work your way, you know, so that he's, and, and that might've been a good thing because maybe as much as I would initially say you shouldn't have done that, maybe that was a gesture that he'll remember in a good way. That's what yeah. I was hoping. Because you're hoping coming would... across the table to him. You're saying, right. listen, I don't drink. I don't believe in it. But I know that you like a beer. And here's my mm-hmm. peace offering. It's cool. You know. Right. Let's, you know, let's be real. Yeah. That was my hope anyways. Yeah. Um, you I know, I did it for did. communication building rather than, you know, any desire I had to turn him into an alcoholic. <laughs> right. But then uh, your sponsor might say, but is it worth the risk to your sobriety? to pull something like that off. Yeah, and the funny thing is like I, I uh, it didn't even cross my mind that it was going to be uh something that would kind of smack me in the side of the head like that. Yeah. Like I just cuz I've been to so many parties where there's alcohol served like I never and I never even give it a second thought, but all of a sudden I was giving it a second thought, which was weird. Well, yeah, I mean you had all the ingredients, you know, the yes. baseball sign, bonding, the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad you came through it and um yeah, we should really be calling each other when we're getting in these scenarios. Um I had a similar problem, let's say. I, I had basically I woke up Monday. It was Columbus Day. And I had to work, but my, you know, the kids are off. Christine is off. Mm-hmm. And I can't explain it. I woke up and I felt like I was underwater, like hmm. physically, like it was the weirdest feeling. And I was just like out of it. And as you guys, as I went on to at, at nauseum last, last show about how much I've got going on, it began this process of like, I wasn't feeling good. Mm-hmm. So then I didn't do that first thing I was supposed to do that day. Smoke crack? Smoke crack, right. <laughs> and um, I first had to buy a stem from the gas station. It was a whole thing. And he yeah. charboy. Um, it takes forever. You know. So I was just, it was this snowball effect. And I almost knew it was happening. And Monday went by and I didn't do shit. And like nothing I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally, which is really hard because there's so much, but I completely shut down. And, uh, and at first it was fine. I was like, okay, I'm just going to give myself a little time, you know. And then uh, the next day, um, Noah didn't get to sleep the night before. He woke up screaming or something like that. He had a nightmare. So I didn't sleep that great. I felt a little better, but the depression 
Mm. and the feeling of anxiety and being overwhelmed to the point where like, you know, if you're like five feet underwater, you can see the top, you can almost get your finger there. I felt like I was at the Marianas Trench, just like no way out. I was like, fuck, what am I going to do? And even my business partner uh, said something to me. I think it was Tuesday. He goes, you were right. Like, wh- what's going on? You know, hmm. I'm very honest with him. The guy's a psychologist, and you, know, you can't good- lie to your psychologist. And I don't. I do not lie to that guy. <laughs> he, he does. He returns the favor. Like, I never wonder what he's feeling at any given moment. Um, and so he said, he's like, we're just because he knows that I'm in recovery. So of course, the first thing he's thinking is, I put my whole business in this guy's hand, <laughs> and, and he went out and at the most <laughs> important point, like this is probably the most crucial like two weeks right. so far because we're moving on the first, and this is when I decide to like have some kind of meltdown or you know, <laughs> and so he's clearly you know like what's going on? Did did you start drinking again? He asked you that. He did. Wow. Um, and then he of course apologized immediately. I said no, no. I said Mike. Don't apologize. I completely understand. You know, that's fine. You know, I'm here to tell you that I am not drinking. <laughs> I'm having a really rough time. I, I suffer from depression, which he knows. And I said, it goes in cycles. The difference between me today and five years ago mm-hmm. is I would take that opportunity to drink or use. Right. And now I don't. I just cry by myself in the bathroom. <laughs> um, and so oh. it was, a, and then Wednesday came. And every night I went to sleep. Let me tell you. Each night, because I knew I had to get myself out of this. I said, I'm going to die. I have too much. I can't be like this. So I prayed every night. I said, God, please, God, please. I need to get back on top of this stuff. Please help me feel better. Just And then I did a lot of visualization of me like being happy and active. Fake it till you make it. And then I'd go to sleep. But the next day, Wednesday, I just wasn't quite there. And some of the repercussions of not doing certain things Monday and Tuesday... Uh came back at me Wednesday and I kind of checked out and it was like, I would call it a sober bottom. We were mm. talking about this a little bit like, um, you know, when you're sober long enough and, and y- you know, you can hit a bottom. You sure can. Meaning like where I was just a couple of days ago, I felt like, um, you know, and, and one time though, cause usually I'll just say to myself, Oh, this is usually when I would use or drink. But this particular morning I started to think, Hmm, hmm. nothing else is working. What if I just had a beer? Ooh. Yeah. And I was like... You know, I didn't see a text message on it. No. Either that. <laughs> oh, no. So we had a hell of a week, the I know. two of us. I know. This is exactly when I said... <laughs> you know, because you do the thing, oh, I don't want to bother him. Yeah. I don't want him to worry about me. But we're supposed to worry about right. each other. We're supposed to reach out. And that would have been a good time to do that. Um, but like you, I talked myself out of it. I didn't go as far as grabbing the beer or anything, but um, I really was thinking about it. For about 10 minutes, I'd say. And then I shook it off. I said, what the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> and I did what you did. I talked myself out of it. I went over all the stuff. I replayed the tape back. And, yes, and I made it through. And today, <clears throat> I finally, I drank enough coffee. And um, <laughs> That does not sound like a, a good way out of this dark forest. <laughs> this is poor caffeine on it. I just got to drink coffee. <laughs> and finally, around 10, 11 o'clock, I called my partner. I said, Mike, I'm back. He goes, oh, you sounded completely different. He goes, what happened? <laughs> you just from four hours ago. You I almost one- relapsed. I know, I almost relapsed. <laughs> and uh, in any case, it was just, it was like, I feel like I, these sober bottoms, it's like, it's, that is the time to reach out. That is the time to engage in your online community. 
to call your sponsor, to call a friend, to tell your mother. Sometimes I just call my mom and I, mom, I'm having a rough time. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> it helps, you know. So you consider yeah. yourself a sober bottom rather than a sober top? That's correct. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> just I knew you were going to make way. a joke about that. Um, so that was it. Um, well, funny uh, a side note on uh, uh, Dimitri, though. It's just occurred to me. Do you know what book he was assigned in his uh, literature class this week, his writing class to read? Catcher in the Rye? Nope. Mackenzie Phillips, High on Arrival. Shut the fuck up. Seriously? <laughs> yep. Wow. What I was class like, is that? It's, I don't, I think it's a writing class. Yeah. It's a class called Books Your Father Read on His Podcast or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said to him, I said, you know, if you want to talk to Mackenzie Phillips, I mean, I know a guy that <laughs> has her phone number. Yeah. You know, he just looked at me. He was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, she's. That's actually a really good book. It's a really like. We should. Uh, we it's should. A, try it's a traditional get, should, memoir. I would like to try and get her on because she's. Good. She might do it. She's, I think she would do it. Well, she's very active professionally in recovery, from yeah. what I heard on our last interview, and I think that she, if we reach out in earnest, or you know, our well, friend who knows not, her, yeah, maybe she would. And her book is great. And she's got a hell of a story. If you guys don't know who Mackenzie Phillips is, Google it. Any you uh, Gen Xers or Boomers that yeah. like to watch One Day at a Time. It was the show with uh, Valerie Bertinelli. She was the other sister. And it's a little, it's poetic that now she's this big recovery person mm-hmm. and her show was one day at a time. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. That's it. Did Dave mention that? Anyway, if no. you guys want to hear a really good interview with her, like check out the last two she did on Dopey. They're fantastic. It's one of my favorite interviews that he did. Um, also, one last thing before we move on to this <clears throat> Russell Brand business. I had the weirdest fucking dream the other night. And I know when people, th- when people say, I'm going to tell you about my dream. Like this is the time that most of our listeners would probably go to the fridge and, and get a kombucha or something. But the dream I had was uh, for some reason I was up at your parents' house in Oyster Bay Cove where I have never been. I might add. You want to give them their address? Um, too? I don't know what, Oh yeah. Shit. Sorry. About <laughs> That's okay. That. Um, Nobody's going there. I can take that out if you want. Yeah. Um, and now I've just drawn attention to it. Yep. So now I have to take this part out too. Ding, ding, ding. Now it's like fucking a whole 30 seconds. But now it's it. funny. We should leave it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I walk into the house and your father's there. And I don't really, I met your father like two or three times. You've never been to the house, I've right? never been to the house. Okay. And he's wearing his raincoat, which he, he <laughs> tends which he to wear to this do. lawyer raincoat, right? Yep. But he, and he uh, offers me a beer and I take it. And I drink it with him. And I'm drinking beer with your father in his house. Huh. What do you think that dream means? Wow. <laughs> wow. I used to be pretty Your mom was there too, but she was not really... I don't want to hear that part of she the dream, wasn't, please. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, no, there was nothing like I'm that. I'm pretty uh, good at, at um, explicating dreams. Um, but this one, <laughs> I would have to... Well, we were just talking about my dad on the show. And we were talking about the, like, mother's milk and how he just, like, you know, idolizes these beers and, you know. I know, but so it's... we were just talking about it. I mean... You did meet him one time. You know what it was? What? I think I think the fact that I saw him and your mother mm. in the supermarket. Wearing a raincoat. Right around the same time. Right. He just took up residence in my head. Old lawyers tend to run around in my head. Yeah, old lawyers die hard. Um. <laughs> Well, you know your dad better than me. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> that was so terrible. Yeah. Um, that's what we do here. All right. Well, I don't think I had anything else to add. 
<laughs> to any of what that. else can one oh i went say. to adventureland with the pta did you now did you go last year yes but this year i was you went last year too right but this year you were not there no i don't have a kid in vernon anymore understood but we could have hung out i don't know should have invited it's you. it's the worst haunted house ever it is awful did it's, you go on the spinny roller coaster the green one um turbulence yeah yes I like turbulence. It's not that great, but nothing there is. It's all very like mediocre. Yeah, <laughs> it's one step up from uh, from carny stuff. They should know? call it mediocrity land. It just doesn't <laughs> have the same ring. You know what? It's good for kids up to like age eleven or twelve. I had one of my yeah. first dates at Adventureland. Did you? Mm-hmm. How did that? How did it, it went great in the haunted house. We didn't get married though. No, so I guess it didn't work out. Little uh, little making out in the haunted house? <laughs> there was not. I was a good boy. We were just holding hands and walking around. Oh. I think I might have been uh, 25 or something. No. <laughs> <laughs> this was uh, 12 or 13. In any case, so Adventureland with the PTA, I saw all of my old customers and lots of parents that mm. are in the schools, you know. So it's always fun to... Fun and anxiety-inducing to see these people, and they're always asking, "Oh, what are you up to? Mm. Open up another sports store?" I love that one. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, did not do that. I am not that stupid, but um, yeah. So it was fun. The kids had a blast. Oh, the thing I wanted to touch on, haha, mm-hmm. was that um, you know my youngest Max. This was really for his grade. It was a lot of the younger kids are all friends with Max. But my older son, Noah, really wanted to go with us. And I'm like, I'm trying to foster a better relationship between them. Wait, he two. wanted to go to you? To Adventureland. To Adventureland, with okay. Us. Okay. And I was like, yeah, man. Look, is any of your friends going? And no, they weren't. Um, you know, because it wasn't really for the Vernon kids. I mean, for the kids in the other school. Yeah. But um, I was really impressed with how he, and I always do this with Noah. I tell him to be little daddy with Max. Like, I need you to be, like, the big brother, but, like, little daddy. Like, the way I treat him, when I'm not around, you treat him that way, you know? I always just try and say that to him. He never says he will, but I actually (laughs) felt like I could see the interaction. He started to take Max around with some rides. Oh, that's great. Oh, man, and I just, like, mm, my heart was swelling. I'm like, this is what it should be, you know? You're a lucky man because... It doesn't happen that often, but when it does, I'm happy. Ever since... Dimitri moved out, like the dynamic in our house has completely changed. Yeah. Because Jack now is like... He's the man. He's the guy. He's the guy. And he and Ben are like been going at it like cats and dogs. It's it's crazy. I've had to tell Jack like enough, you know, like lay off the the kid, you know, and it's weird. And then Mm. Dimitri came home and Jack like quieted down and retreated to his room. It's so weird at that dynamic. But one thing I forgot about that I also wanted to talk about that's yes. not family related. I don't know if you saw the, the we have a Oyster Bay East Norwich Parents Facebook group, you know, where where the, everybody gets on and, mm-hmm. you know, does their insanity. Yes, and yeah, it was the parents. Uh, so so somebody posted today, you know, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the restaurant Danny's Izakaya. No. It opened where the sushi place was right across from your oh, store. Oh, yeah. They, they went out of business. They went already. out of business. Right. right. So a guy in town who I, who I know fairly well from scouting and other things mm-hmm. um, said he's very sad to see our small town have restaurants like Danny's and gourmet places like this other place closed down. Stores. He and then me. he didn't mention you. Right. And then an, and then a new smoke shop pops up. Have you seen the new smoke shop? Not only have I seen it, I bought vape juice there. The guy that uh, owns it used to go to the high school. Nice guy. You're talking about the place in the CVS shopping center? Mm, no. There's okay. one there? Yes. Oh. So now we have two. Okay. There's one there, but... Score. Um, <laughs> it's just full of bongs, though. Oh, and, okay. And like drug paraphernalia. 
Great. Yeah. <laughs> now the kids don't have to drive to Utopia to get that stuff. <laughs> um, so uh, the community is, uh, is up in arms over They're, it, as you can imagine. The c- pearl clutching is absurd. Listen, I'm clutching pearls. I don't. Like, I'm not happy with this this store in the know. in the neighborhood. Nobody goes over there. Well, all well, the kids are going to go over there. So we have zero sports stores and two bong shops. Well, yeah. M- my comment on Facebook because I'm a fucking masochist yeah, and I can't just look. leave this shit along. It's not alone, a good look for the town. Says uh, it's easier to buy a bong than a bowl of rum and an oyster bay. Than a bowl of rum. Oh, bowl yeah. of rum. <laughs> rum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that ramen place was a cool idea. The ramen was good, actually. Yeah, I had it a couple times. Um, yeah, it sucks. Well, this town is extremely difficult to uh, to be successful in, but... Um, but, I mean, yeah. I, that's something that has to be dealt with because I'm sure this place is going to be selling, like, um, Delta 8 products and all that other kind of stuff that's Sweet. not, you know... Yeah, it's like, we don't need that in this town. Like, it's already, I don't know. It's just, I mean, the and kid- you know, it's going to do great too. Like it's the thing that nobody, everyone says they don't want. And then it's like super successful. And that's why there's two of them. Well, the guy who, who opened it is smart because half of it is like cigars. And so this is a very cigar chomping town. Yes, it is. You know, so I don't know. I'm not, th- I'm not thrilled with the idea of, you know, all that paraphernalia being able to, because from what I what I heard from Dimitri, like there was a, quite a pipeline from the place in Syosset, the next town over from us that sells the Delta 8 and the Delta 10. Like people were buying all that stuff up there and then shipping it to Oyster Bay and selling it at a profit. Like kids had, in high school had a little business going on. Uh. So I assume, you know, there's all these under, undercover, underground markets and yep. economies that go like, for example, your son is selling gum. Right. And He's so Ben has now right. ordered some kind of candy because he wants to start becoming a candy candy magnate in high school as well. And, I, and I'm like, is this is this just basically like training wheels for drug dealing later on? You know, I'm, yeah. like, I'm, yeah. I'm a little worried about that. But it's funny you say that because that's the first thing I thought of when I was at CVS with Noah. And he goes, oh, can you buy me a few packs of this, like 24 <laughs> packs of gum? And I'm like, well, what are you doing with it? Why do you need so much gum? And he told me, he's like, well, you know, I've got this business and you know, <laughs> kids love this flavor. And I'm like, on the one hand, I'm like, it's the yeah. entrepreneurial yes, exactly. spirit that, you know, screwed me so hard these last 25 years. But, <laughs> you know, I, I was, I thought it was cool. And then on the other hand, I started thinking, wow, this sounds a lot like, like a drug dealer, you know, because mm. they have to do it clandestinely because yes. it's not allowed. Right. So here I am encouraging this illegal behavior. Um, yeah, I don't feel great about it. I don't know. I, you know, it's candy and they're kids. And sometimes I wonder if we don't maybe put a little too much of our own stuff, mental stuff on them when all they're trying to do is like make some money selling some chiclets, you know? It's true. It's true. Yeah. I I definitely am putting all my shit on them (laughs) for sure. Uh, Got Sorry, I keep, you know, I, t- I sent you one thing for the life update and all these things keep occurring oh, to me. What's next? Okay, just got a quick one. And I don't know if Noah's mentioned any of this to you Uh-oh. either, but Ben went into the bathroom and he said there were kids vaping. Uh, well, Oyster Bay High School. Yeah, uh, high school. Right. And, uh, well, you knew that was happening. And he right? called me right away. No kidding. Yeah, he, uh, he, he told me that. Uh, does Noah know and he just didn't tell me? I haven't seen him. I, I, I don't. No, this was like a week ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I, I was I was really happy by the fact that he picked up the phone and told me yeah. right away rather than be like, yo, let me get a pull off of that. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. But like, you know, Noah would have been like, let me try one. Yeah. So I, you know, I had a frank discussion with him about 
you know, vaping and stuff and, you know, all, which stuff. is all you can do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? you can. But I'm trying a different tactic with the youngest one than mm. I did with the older one. Yeah, we'll get it right with our younger ones. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping that's for. Me too. <laughs> anyway, that's all. I just... Uh, so vaping in high school, yeah. all this and more. But who knows what they're vaping though? Could that's be right. anything. That's right. So Dimitri did tell me, he said, <clears throat> and here I am just going on and on, but he did tell me that uh, in our frank conversation about drugs that he's like, there are kids that just were vaping like really super high powered weed in class because you can, because there's no smell. And when the teacher turns around, you just do. And he's like, some of these, these carts, they call them, which are like the little you know, cartridges with, right. with, he's like, very few of those are actually uh, from a dispensary. Like they're made in people's basements right. and, and that's know, they a, have God knows what's in them. You yeah, know, that's a problem. Yeah. That makes me nervous. Thank you for telling me that now. Cause I'm going to worry about it. <laughs> I should have realized this, but yeah, that's, I guess what I'm really worried about is, you know, Noah getting into uh, THC yeah. from something as innocuous as, you know, what looks like a regular vape, which is still shitty and I don't want him to do it, but it's, right. I know. Yeah. I don't, I don't like any it, of it. it. The high school just doesn't have a good handle on, on how to deal with these problems there. Mm, and yeah. I realized this when, you know, Dimitri's year, you know, their, their, their reaction was they would hire a bunch of ex cops who would like kick the doors in mm. and like pretend they were on SWAT, you know, and give, give these kids like, and I don't know if that's the answer either, but, um, they should probably just search the kids when they come in. They should have a metal detector, like it's you know wine dance or something. Yeah, but it's like it's Oyster Bay and it's not prison. And, True, you know, I don't know. But if you ask Noah, he'll say it's just like prison. What do you guys think should be done, or how's the high schools by you? Uh, send me an email at mikearmiddleagesrecovery dot com. If any of you have had kids go through high school mm. who have dealt with this kind of stuff, or how your schools are dealing with it in the disparate parts of this great land and great world that where you're listening from so shall we take a short break yes um we'll be right back with our main topic discussion russell brand's book called recovery after these words seconds and then just went right back into our chairs you're, you're you know you're lowering the veil you got to keep the you know don't give them the backstage um well, we were just talking about you know we're, we're discussing russell brand's book and uh and i was reading his um his bio and instead of comedian i said comedian and it made me think of all of those feminized words that are going away actress waitress stewardess the actress thing is something i noticed recently yes what is this everybody's an actor now Right. Why, why is it a problem to designate a person's gender? I don't know. I guess that's the problem. See, I find it problematic that we're calling everybody actors. Why don't we call everybody actresses? Right. Why can't the men be called actresses? Agreed. See, there's misogyny. There's misogyny baked into this this idea that we're trying to get away from misogyny. Yeah, and you can't get rid of masculine and feminine in like French and Spanish. There's the you know. Oh, just femi- watch. Le, just la? watch them. You have feminine words. You have they can't all be androgynous, guys. It's just the way the the languages were. Uh, we're just heading towards androgyny. Yeah. I, I don't love that idea. I'm going to call myself. I'm going to identify as Michelle from now on. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I'm all for progress and for inclusion, but I I, I loved the interplay between two 
opposite genders that like kind of made life interesting. Oh boy, you're stepping in. Do you want to get canceled? No, please don't cancel me. I'm just thinking out loud, guys. In any case, on to the book discussion yes. before I do something I'm going to regret. So somebody recommended this book to me. It's Okay, this is a little bit of a backstory here. The uh, There's a, a woman who I am friends with on Facebook. She's an attorney in upstate New York, and um, she's very active in the adoption movement. And... Um, so, you know, we're Facebook friends. I've never met her in real life, although I have actually spoken to her on the phone and asked her for some recommendations for different types of attorneys in that area, you know, um, for friends who need, you know, whatever matrimonial attorneys, because she's, that's the thing she, area she practices in. But um, on Sunday, she did a classic burning of the ships post on Facebook where she said, wow. I just want to let you folks know that I've been sober for seven years. And, uh, and she went into the, this whole thing about, you know, how wine, mommy wine culture is bullshit and all this other stuff. And, and it was very sort of Annie Grace focused. So my assumption was that she was not um, a 12 step person. Mm -hmm. And I sent her a private message on Facebook saying, you know, I really appreciated your posting and, you know, and, and gave her a little bit about my, my story. And she's like, well, have you ever read Russell Brand's book? And I said, no, it's been on my list forever, which it has been. And I think you would. Yeah, which, I read you, it a while ago. Yeah, and, and I told think you, you proposed it. it as a topic of comment. And I was like, ah, I don't. Yeah, you scoffed at yeah, the I idea. I scoffed at it. But, um, but it got me interested in it. And then I, so I downloaded the audio book. And listen, I'm sure this is a very good book to read, <laughs> but. Russell reads, Russell Brand reads the book himself. Yeah. And there's nobody like Russell Brand reading his own oeuvre, his own work. Uh, you definitely, yeah, play a sample of, of what he sounds like or what the I book's. I did this under guidance. Having completed your inventory to the best of your ability, you then share it with God, yourself, and another human being. This is usually your mentor or guide, or at any rate, someone you trust who is further down the path. All right. It's just like we don't, a want, run, a, we don't it, want copyright problems. It's uh, like a 500 page run on sentence, basically. <laughs> Drives yeah. English majors crazy. So, for those of you who don't know Russell Edward Brand, who was born on the 4th of June in 1975, uh -huh. that's probably too much information. Wait, He's what's in, his middle name? Edward. Oh, just making sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> very important he's he's a comedian he's an actor uh he's known for his flamboyant loquacious style and manner his uh, uh extensive vocabulary he's a definitely a smart guy he was a stand-up comedian i actually watched a little bit of a stand-up special he did in 2018 last night to sort of prep was for that it. a recovery centric one because i know he did either a ted talk style thing or has a whole act where he talks about his recovery was it something like that or just straight um, comedy so of the 20 minutes i watched it was a little bit about sex a little bit about recovery and a little bit about politics which is kind of where he's hmm. at these days Interesting. um the thing about russell brand is i i think if you know him you either love him or you fucking hate his guts because he he's definitely provokes strong reactions in people um but he's also been sober for well, at the time he wrote the book in 2018, he was sober for 14 years. So mm. now, 18 years of sobriety. And he was um, a heroin addict and an alcoholic and a sex addict and um, got sober through the use of Alcoholics Anonymous and other 12-step groups. Um, and he wrote a book about it. And I think the focus of his book was sort of to try and put the 12 step 
steps forward in uh, a more secular but still spiritual uh, way and to sort of strip away some of the mold that of the 1930s and 40s that had sort of patinaed the program uh, and to sort of give it a, a bit of new life, if you will. Um, you know, I don't know how necessarily how successful he was at that, um, but... Uh, it's got a workbook and everything. It's got a workbook. There's, there's steps to do. Um, but, you know... Um, I, w- I was kind of all in, in in the beginning, like the introductory chapters I found to be really, um, really interesting because he, he is a, a sort of an expansive view of, of what spirituality is and an expansive view of like what the universe is. And there's definitely nuggets of brilliance. A- absolutely. Like there are certain times where in between the meandering stream of consciousness, you hear something or for me, I heard something where I'm like, yes. Yeah. I'm like, you yeah. just nailed it, but there's so much, All, a lot of nuggets of wisdom in yeah. there. But I mean, my, you know, at the end of the day, it really is a pretty traditional 12 step uh, program sort of rewritten for the modern era. And although I do like what he, the way he recharacterized the 12 steps, but yeah. just generally like some of the things that didn't sit right with me. And, and I'll talk about maybe the things that I didn't like and then the things that I did like, maybe we can go some, somewhat like that. Like, I mean, he goes through this, this whole thing of how the 12 steps have really sort of changed his life. And, you know, and they, and it's inarguable that he's no longer like a drug addict and stuff, but you know, his life is a bit of a train wreck in other areas. I mean, yeah. He, yeah, he talks you know, a lot he about divorced his wife. He was married to Carrie, uh, Katy Perry. Right. He sent her a text message to divorce her over text. Um, <laughs> he got he got very um, you know anti-vax, and um, he's really into conspiracy theories. You know, <laughs> now on his YouTube channel and stuff, he's he's he thinks the Illuminati sort of controls everything. And uh, you know, I'm not saying they don't, but I'm saying they don't. Um, so he has kind of a confrontational style. It's steeped in uh, you know a little bit of egoism and narcissism. Yes. You know, which. Yeah. You know, considering that that's his whole idea of what addiction is, is that is he says that at the root of all addiction is narcissism. Like if you're self-absorbed, um, you're, you're suffering. And if you're suffering, you seek to stop the suffering with drugs and food and, and alcohol and sex. Uh, basically classic, uh, he, he puts forth the idea of classic addiction whack-a-mole, right? Like mm-hmm. you, can, you can get a hold of your alcohol problem. You can get a hold of your drug problem, but it's going to pop up in other areas. Right, then I eat chocolate. Right, well, chocolate was a, one, a big one for him. I can't stop eating chocolate. <laughs> Addiction uh, is with natural biological imperatives like the need for food, sex, relaxation, <laughs> or status become prioritized <laughs> to the point of destructiveness. Um, yeah, it's, we could just I, play the book. Yeah, we should know? just play the book. But I really like that. Um, I like that angle, you know, because we, we go for that. I mean, that's part of our program. The fact that uh, addiction is about all of these impulsive behaviors. So he definitely uh, nails it there. Well, I, and I love the following sentence because this kind of tracks with what, um, Can you read what our friend Evan Haynes was saying about, you know, in his book, Can America Recover? Um, that uh, addiction is exacerbated by a culture that understandably exploits this mechanic as it's a damn good way to sell Mars bars and Toyotas. Mm. Uh, 
And in my own blessedly garish addiction, each addictive pursuit has been an act of peculiar faith that the action will solve a problem. Jeez, put a comma in there, split it into two (laughs) sentences. Well, that's the thing when he reads it. Oh, and I listened to it on 1.3 speed and it's just like... (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like Russell Brand on coke. Uh, Exacerbate it. Imagine that guy on crack. Holy shit. Exacerbate it. So, you know... I. He takes the 12 know. steps. All right, let me ask you a question yes. to propel us to the next point. Propel. The, my question to you is, from your perspective, how has this book been presented to us as a product? Like, did he write this book to say, here's my new program, loosely based on the 12 steps? No. Or is his whole shtick, here's me explaining to you how the 12 steps work and here's another way you can understand it. I think, I think the latter. Yeah. I think it's at its core, it's an extremely traditional uh, way of going through the steps in different packaging. And for me, that was a little disingenuous. I felt like, boy, he really thinks he's pulling one over on these people just by being a little funny, using big words and just talking about the same 12 steps, you know? And that's kind of what it was. It was like, here's my view on the 12 steps. And then it's just, and it's good, but I don't like the idea that it's presented as something new or different when it's really just his take on the 12 steps. It is. And and some of that left me a little bit uncomfortable when he was relating um, specifically like the anecdote of he had a friend who was an actor, I guess, um, and she had gotten into <laughs> drama school and she was a heroin addict. And every time she would like, get into this prestigious drama school she would relapse and Mm. this happened like three or four times and and the only and like russell would let her like you know uh sleep it off in his house and stuff and and he tried to help her with 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 12-step meetings but like there was never any discussion like what this woman clearly needed was some other sort of intervention like perhaps medical intervention or perhaps some other kind of psychological intervention but I mean, his friend was literally dying with multiple relapse and no push towards medication, no push towards other therapy when the program fails. He was just saying things like that you hear oftentimes in these 12 step groups. Well, you know, maybe they're just not ready to engage the program or, right, maybe, you know, really they which, just need a psychiatrist you know, or maybe they need some, you know, some more psychological help than what you can offer in a, in a church basement somewhere, you know, um, so, so he's definitely an evangelist uh, for 12-step, which, you know, is fine, right? I mean, it clearly it yeah. worked for him. It, he's been off drugs and everything for almost 20 years. Um, but it's, it's still got that us versus them, yes. you know, it, it's very, flavor running through it. And I knew you would, you would uh, point that out because I know that, that to you, that's like the worst thing. Like the fact that, you know, it's really, it's, this is the only way he does a lot of talking, which is the same stuff I heard in, in AA, which is, was true stuff. Um, and it is that your way didn't work. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to, you know, put the cotton out of your ears and put mm-hmm. it in your mouth. Just do what we say type of thing. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that. And again, he's not wrong. Like, you know, but we, we had this conversation before, like when I was in an acute, you know, addiction phase, you know, I couldn't think my way out of it. I needed to have somebody else think for me. And that's yeah, kind of where that, he was going. That's all well and good. But you also like, you know, when it finally st- stuck for you, it was when you had the buprenorphine and stuff mm-hmm. that to, to manage the cravings and everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm listening to this whole book, right. And he's going through all the steps and I'm thinking, this is really good stuff. I don't know if this is a good way to stop using chemicals, but it might not be a bad, you know, 
sort of auto therapeutic thing for people to do maybe a little further on down the line once they've got their you know got got some time away yeah. from away from the substances they've been using because then they can really sort of engage in stuff like this but then yeah. but then like he gets into all this stuff about his his um which is the step where you have to make amends? Fifth or uh, sixth? Sixth amends or seventh? Amends is the ninth step. Ninth, okay. Eighth is when you make the list. Fourth is okay. when you so, list so all the shit you eighth did. Eighth and ninth. And I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, my God, like reaching back into your past and contacting all these people yes. and doing this is the most narcissistic fucking thing I can imagine. Because you're not, I mean, yes, it says unless uh, taking such steps would hurt you know, the other yeah. people, but how do you know that you, you're making, you're arbitrarily making the decision as to whether you think it's going to be good or not for this other person to sit there and listen for, for to your confession. So, I mean, look, I, I get, well, it's a, a huge a, part of 12 steps. I know so it is. It has to be. That I know, way, you I know, know but He's I, gotta be I, that I way. you know, I think it's a terrible idea. I don't think it's a bad idea to sort of try and, you know, even the karmic scales, but, but the way that they suggest, and then to, to the little script that you're supposed to use, yeah, where you sit there it. and you say, I, I am an addict and I need, and as part of my program, I have to do yeah, this. It's and, very administrative. Yeah. Like, That's Jesus what he said. He's Christ. like, this part I mean, is a bit administrative. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I don't want to. I don't. I do not want to sit here and and bash. Well, we've argued about whom, this in the right, past. For whom this has been a model of success. All I'm saying is that he says he makes an awful lot of about how culture and trauma drive addiction. But are you seeing parallels? Twelve, 12 here? step rooms are not the place to explore layers prayer, of trauma. You have prayer. You have confession, and you have good works. Yeah, so, I get it. Right? I get I mean, it. I mean, it. it's not subtle. No, it's not. Right. I, I don't know how I feel about, you know, the thing where you step forward, you list all of your wrongs and things done wrong to you and they have categories mm-hmm. and sexual and it's uncomfortable and I hated doing it. And just like he says, he'd rather, I forget what he said, but it was like the one thing you didn't want to do is this fourth step where you, you know, list all the things you've done and that have done to, been done to you that you have resentments about. And on first listen, I have that same reaction like, ugh what is the point? We're rehashing all this stuff and it's bringing it up. But I also know that there is a power to talking about these things that you just never talk about that are just sitting under the surface that maybe you haven't thought about, but are bothering you subconsciously. And sometimes just the act of writing it down or telling another person, you know, that's the whole program when alcoholic talking to another. Yes. And that's what we're doing. And I don't know. I, I that's mean, fine. Maybe it's good. But at the base of that, what you're trying to do is you're trying to find your character defects. Right. So the implication is that there is something wrong with you and that something that is wrong with you is what is fixating you in your addiction. Are you saying there's nothing wrong with, with there was nothing wrong with me when I first went into... Uh, I'm saying you were not a bad person. True. And I'm I'm saying you, you were a person that made some bad choices and those bad choices sort of snowballed on themselves and all of a sudden you found yourself addicted to certain chemicals. I don't know if you need to make a list of, you know, the... Like like in his case, he he made a list of his the fact that he was angry at his mother because his mother got, got cancer, cancer when he was a kid, right. and you know basically it was sort of an exercise in self flagellation. Like yeah. you know, isn't that what and, you and, do in therapy though? Anyway, is it? Isn't this a way where you go? Do you, do you, you go to therapy and blame yourself for the, all these things? What I do is well, when you go to your first uh, therapy intake or whatever, you sit there and you give them everything. You tell them, here's my life. This is what I sure. do. And so I think of it in kind of those terms, but I could see where it could be detrimental to be 
bringing all that stuff up. I mean, to be constantly to make yourself feel focusing bad. on your flaws instead of your your strengths and your hope and your potential. But as an exercise in discovery, which you would appreciate as an attorney. Yeah, I mean, discovery. You got to see it all so you can figure out what happened and how to not do it again. But I well, think it's it's overboard. I agree. I think I mentioned on. Uh, there's a book or program called The Artist's Way where you basically you sit down with a piece of paper in front of you in the morning and you let your mind sort of dictate what you're going to write and you're supposed to do three pages a day and it's almost like automatic writing because your subconscious Ooh, comes out of it. Tim Banal. Now, to me, that seems like a more useful exercise than than picking apart your, your character defects. But, hmm. you know, I can understand the structure of the exercise and why that might be a useful, if you are so out of touch with, right. with who you, who you are. You have to examine what happened yeah. to help you get out. But of I mean, it, you know, not. a good six months of meditation and you're kind of able to see that stuff inside your own head anyway, but eh, uh, getting uh, a, a newly sober alcoholic to meditate for more than one minute a day. Yes. is usually not right. Easy. I speak for myself. I had a hard time. So uh, what I do like is yeah. the way he, Took the 12 steps, which, you know, and the way they're written in the big book and everything, it's very sort of Judeo-Christian, 1930s, um, you know, Protestantism. Because they were Protestant Christians in the 30s. Yes. (laughs) But it reflects that. Well, I mean, Wilson was also an acid head, but that's beside the point. Um, Let's see. So he he changed the steps. He says, step one, are you a bit fucked? Yes. So he rewrites just for the (laughs) audience. Part of the book is he goes, he does his own 12 steps, right? Right. And he just writes his version of it. But there, so it, it, I think it's worthwhile to, to go through them. Mm-hmm. Um, are you a bit fucked is step one, which is, you know, your life is, be, is unmanageable. You know, what's the, how do you, what's the first step of AA? Your life is unmanageable. Um, uh, you're powerless over alcohol. Beca- your life has become unmanageable. Yes. Yep. So he's, he distilled that to, are you a bit fucked? <laughs> and then the, the are se- you a bit fucked? second step is, could you, could you not be fucked? And then three, are you on your own going to unfuck yourself? And then write down all the things that are fucking you up or have ever fucked you up and don't lie or leave anything out. And then honestly tell someone trustworthy about how fucked up you are. And then number six, well, that's revealed a lot of fucked up patterns. Do you want to stop it? And then seven is, are you willing to live in a new way that's not all about you and your previous fucked up stuff? Right? So you get the idea, right? Like the, you know, he's, he's stripped away the... Are you entirely willing to He's allow God to re- right. you know, remove your character defects and all He's that stuff? He's trying to cut through what might be preventing someone to like really resonate with uh, the alcohol- Alcoholics Anonymous book by, right. could you be not fucked or are you fucked? You know, He's just yeah, getting to the point. Yeah. Are you going to unfuck yourself? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, it, it goes on from there, but... Uh, are you a bit fucked? Um, what does he say? It's a five-point guide to the cycle of addiction. One, pain. Two, using an addictive agent like alcohol, food, sex, work, dependent relationships to soothe and distract. Three, temporary anesthesia or distraction. This is interesting, actually. Four, consequences. Five, shame and guilt leading to pain or low self-esteem. That's, That's basically how he yeah. defines being fucked. That's, that's really interesting, yeah. <laughs> Right? I mean, you know, so, which is which is very similar to what um, what Gabor Mate has to say about addiction is, it has a purpose, and the purpose is to avoid pain, right? Exactly. That was Mate's, I think, one of his major points was that we're really, 
you know, not why all the drugs, it's why all the pain, that's what he said. Right, and and he goes, he and, and Russell Brand says that, you know, and it's it's really under like the third step, but he, he relates a story where a counselor at a treatment center where he got clean, who was a woman in recovery, uh, he said he was surprised when she said to him, how clever of you to find drugs, well done, you found a way to keep yourself alive. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I That really jumped off the page to me. I like that. Yeah, he really said that was, he felt... Like he liked hearing that, you know, yeah. like he, instead of saying you were, you were bad and you did horrible, immoral things. It's sort of like the, the, the therapist or, or I think it was somebody at the recovery house yeah. was just like, way to go. Like yeah. you got yourself through that. Addiction was the protector. Right. Right. And that, isn't that what, uh, that's also what Evan Haynes said, right? That addiction, or he went into this whole thing where usually you would visualize addiction as a demon, but yeah. he it visualized it as an, or somebody he was talking about visualized it as an angel, as a protector. Yeah. Because it protected you from that trauma and everything that you, that you were submitted to as a child. Yeah. It's a really counterintuitive way of thinking of, of a possessing or disrupting spirit where he's basically saying that the spirit is trying to protect you, not screw your life up by yeah. saying, no, 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 here, you know, take this. Right. <laughs> Try right. this. This will make you feel better. It's Which is really a different sort of way of looking at, yeah. a, at addiction. But, but if you look at it through a psychological lens, I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, yeah. um, pain is a signal, right? It's, it's some aspect of us that's beyond our narrow conception of self. Like a pain in the leg means don't put pressure on the leg. A pain in the mind means change the way you live. Uh, and sometimes you change the way you live by covering up the pain in your mind with drugs and alcohol. And mm. then at some point you realize that that's not sustainable anymore. What does it mean when you have a pain in the ass? <laughs> 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 I could think of a good joke to finish with that. Uh, yeah, um, yeah I, it, and I love, I love that line of, of thinking that like your body using pain is trying to tell you something. You know, um, like you said, you cut your arm. Guess what? Your body's telling you, hey, you're leaking. <laughs> right. You know, or... You know, so everything that goes on, but he's taking it a step further, not just like pain, physical pain, but when I'm depressed, you know, what is, what is my body trying to tell me? You know, what am I not doing uh, or what, what am I not getting enough of? Yeah. Um, so, you know, he, de- he defines it and he, you know, you, assuming you agree that you are powerless, you move on to, could you not be fucked? Right. Um, and uh, he goes on to try and convince, convince of the higher, the existence of a higher power and, mm-hmm. and why that is such a sticking point for people. Um, you know, and, and he goes through a lot of the, the mental tricks to sort of redefine things as higher powers that, you know, may not be higher powers, but, <coughs> um, he says, like in order to sort of expand the definition of a higher power, he says um, that he believes that the mystery of creation and the laws of the universe hold great power. Uh, the innate love that human beings have for one another is power. People's willingness to suffer for a cause is power. Yeah. Healing of an injury is power. Um, the music of Mozart, the Sistine Chapel ceiling. Why does he abbreviate Mozart Maz? Or Maz? That drives me crazy. It's Mozart. All those allude to a power that is greater than me. Um, the chances I've had in life, the people that have loved me and have been there for me. There are many examples of a power greater than myself alone with my addiction and my thoughts. You know, I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. I, uh, that's sort of the way I would conceptualize a higher power. 
Yeah. You know? Mine's wearing a robe, has a long beard, sitting in a cloud, <laughs> throwing lightning bolts at people. Yeah, which is weird because lightning comes from the ground up. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe heaven's well, he's, under the earth. I don't know. He's got to, he has to come to terms with a higher power because he's in the 12 steps. So I guess this is his way of, he's trying to, and you also have to think of this, folks, as this is Russell Brand selling you recovery. He almost sold me on that one, yeah. though, because I, I really like that definition. And and then he finishes up that that area by saying, look, I don't have to ally with this higher power yet. All I have to do is accept that my thoughts and I are not the apex of human experience, <laughs> which, you know, if addiction is a disease of narcissism, then breaking the idea that you are the pinnacle of human existence, that's why you need a higher power. Right, to right? humble you. To humble you. You know, and, and this is a major sticking point for people. This is why he talks about this. When they see God or someone sees higher power, a lot of people don't take kindly to that. They don't believe in God or the God they believe in, like, killed their parents or something, you know. Yeah. Everybody has something to blame God for. Um, you know, what I used to tell um, people I'm working with in recovery when the God thing comes up, as I said, well, listen, you, you, we're talking about a power greater than yourself. Usually, I go with, think about the ocean. Mm. You know, is this greater than you? Does it control things you can't, you know, like, that's a power, just, just so they can conceptualize what So I, I can mean. use the ocean as my higher power? Or gravity is a, a big one. That, that gravity is my higher power. Usually, when I, I go to gravity, if there's someone who's just not going along with God, that usually a light bulb goes off, and they're like, oh. Because you, it completely controls your life. It dominates mm. every aspect of daily life for everyone. You have no control over it. But then you have to ask gravity to remove your character defects. Yes, you would. Is it just going to suck them into the center of the earth? So <laughs> that's a great point because a lot of other people will say, oh, just use a doorknob. Yeah, yeah. And that was always my retort, what you just said. Right. I said, what, are you going to pray to a doorknob to forgive you? But. Yeah. The point of using something like that is just to get them in the, their foot in the door. Thinking in terms of you're selling something, mm-hmm. and you've got an objection. And in sales, if anyone out there has been in sales, you have to push past the objection. So yeah. these are just tactics to get somebody's mind open enough to accept the possibility that there may be something greater than themselves. And sometimes that's a very tough nut to crack. It's, it, you know, I never really looked at it that way, that, that, I just, just right sitting here right now, I drew the connection between the narcissism inherent in addictive behavior and the idea that you need a, you have to have, think of there's something greater than you. Yeah. I think that pretty Mm. much sizes it up. I think that's generally the reason for, I mean, there's also people who really do believe in like a God that's conscious and everything. But but, you know what? That's a, that's a big ask. Yeah. And, and a lot of times like people, it takes years of therapy for people to to get beyond their own limited way of looking at the world. Right, which you is know? why it's so many people struggle getting on board with this stuff. And uh, it's very difficult, um, which is why programs like Smart Recovery are so great. Mm. You know, because there's a whole bunch of people who just, the minute they see the G word, that's it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's just a, a tactic of helping somebody understanding their place in the universe, which is... Not that powerful, like relatively speaking, there are much bigger forces. Yeah. Um, so, you know, because he says basically like when you get to the third step that 
if you strip away the reference to a divine power in the third step, it basically becomes, you don't know what you're doing, you better make a decision to accept help. And that's a stumbling block for many people, right? What's the third step? Like, Third step is... Sorry, it's not a quiz. Oh, because now I don't remember. First one is your life has become uh, unmanageable. Second, second one is, is believed in a power greater than myself to restore my sanity. sanity. Um, Third step is we're willing to... To ask God to ask remove God to re- yeah, I really like don't that. remember. Okay, yeah. so, um, wow, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, and he talks about King, the King James Bible. Why is he talking about King James? What page are you on? Uh, people are always telling you, there's no guidebook to being human, he says. But oh, there yeah. are loads. The problem, I think, is in translation. To it. How do I make the complex King James... <laughs> Desert books and lurid and beautiful text of India sing to me in my solitude. How can we, accustomed to living in five-second slices of mindless life, reach back through millennia to hold hands with Vishnu or sit in acceptance with the Buddha? Like In the world I am from, no one suggested that anything other than material means could provide me with a solution. Yeah, so he, he muses on this idea of... You know, and, and a lot of this is him, it's, I feel like it's stream of consciousness and with some editing, <laughs> right? I mean, that's kind of what's going on here. Like, he stream of conscious, like, vomited this book out, and then the editor was like, all right, let's make this into something, you know. Um, and so there's a lot of that, but sometimes I like that. I have to be in the mood I've, for it. I really... Uh, you know, sometimes I can go along I love his vocabulary. It's, it's a, he's got a great vocabulary, and he, he knows how to structure a sentence, and he could just go. Yeah. You know. Yeah, he goes and goes. You think goes. it's a little too, or the language is too ornate and too twee? I think it gets in the way of a very important message. You know, he's a little self. I mean, but I'm talking stylistically. The content of the book was great, but for my for my money, I like something a little more like the New York Times. You know, sentences and mm-hmm. commas and periods. Sometimes <laughs> the Times is written at a seventh grade level. Is that it? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, you don't. You I've haven't heard, heard that? that before, but. The New York Post is written at like a kindergarten level or something. My, uh, my seventh grader does not read the New York Times. <laughs> um, like, but I yeah. don't know, man, because um, I, I don't know. He's got, he's, he seems to, I guess, blind squirrel, right? He seems to stumble upon all these great little nuggets. Well, that's but, the thing. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because like, something like a sentence like, my problem was not alcohol, heroin, crack, bulimia, or sex but a twisted system of beliefs brought on by trauma and shame that had become the basis of my unconscious program for living. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. Right. I mean, I think, I think the thing is he's very good at defining the problem. I just don't happen to agree with him on what the solution is. Right. hundred percent. But far be it from us to tell someone who like, I, I love the idea that Russell Brand got sober and he's writing a book to say, this is how I do yes. it. And here's how I think you could do it too. Yes. So I love that, but that doesn't mean it worked for us or, or maybe it would have. Maybe if I got this, you know, 10 years ago, I would um, yeah. have a different podcast, you know, or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he goes on to honestly, t- so we were just talking about like confession. Right. And uh, they don't characterize it as confession, but I think it's apropos Um, When you're talking about all of the things that you've done, you know, your innermost fears, you know, all of that stuff. And we were just discussing how is that actually helpful? And uh, and so he talks about that here. He says, I'd never before acknowledge the role of fear in my life. 
that many of my behaviors were unwittingly governed by fear. Absolutely. That my fear of rejection led me to seek out relationships that precluded real intimacy. That my fear of inadequacy meant that even friendships with other men were fraught and unconsciously guarded, semicolon. That my fear of being alone meant I bound people to me who were not positive influences in my life. Um, I, I love, you know, fear is such an important part of my mm. recovery and addiction. Like, and I talk about it, you know, all the time. Usually I'm talking to myself and I'll say something like, oh, that's a fear-based decision. Mm. But I'm always thinking about, you know, like a lot of my meltdown early this week was really just fear-based. It wasn't anything that was happening to me. Mm-hmm. It was, oh my God, what's going to happen? Someone was telling me that there's anxiety and depression and the way that you can think about anxiety is fear of the future. Right. And depression is some sort of malaise over the past or some sort of reaction to the past. Actually, mm. that was my psychologist's partner. And uh, I thought that was really in- an interesting way to think about anxiety and depression. But if you can live in the moment, you know, because right now there's no tigers chasing us. Right. Um, you know, we're going to be okay. We don't have to fight or flight, you know, so lose the fear. Most people don't live in the moment, though. They live in in anticipation of something bad happening in the future or ruminating over the past. But I, let me ask you this. Do, mm. you, do you think that people who suffer from addictive behaviors are generally more fearful about life than others? Or do you think that the human condition is really to be in a constant state of low-grade fear about things that we can't control, you know? I think it's something that we all share as a species. I think that we have evolved to survive using fear and that in some of us it's gotten out of control more Mm -hmm. than others. I think we're at a point in our evolution as, as a species where we're not all on the same path of like evolution like some people you you meet some people and you're like wow they're really evolved you might say <laughs> you know because sometimes i'll speak to somebody and i'll go wow they're like on another level like mm. thought wise spiritually and then there's you know so i feel like everybody has a different level of fear and how they use it or or, or suffer from it you think so fear i don't know and trauma tend to accompany one another right i mean because if you've yeah. been traumatized so do do addicts probably have more fear. I mean, it's a, it's a good bet, but I mean, I'm, I don't know. I know I have quite a bit. Yeah. Cause I, why I've do often, you use? I've yeah. often thought about how, how much fear was the driver of a lot of decisions that I made yeah. in my life, you know, like roads not taken and all that, but yeah. I, t- I try not to ruminate on that cause there's nothing I can do about it. Right. I mean, fear. And for me, it's also procrastination well, that's, laziness. that's also fear. So, maybe, yeah, good point. Because I'm a procrastinator by nature and I fight against it every day. And There's a reason you're not doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing. What is fear stopping? of success, fear of failure. Yeah. You know, it's all, it's all the same. You know, and, and I see it in my son, um, Noah. You know, I, I'm trying not to project all of my bullshit <laughs> onto him. But man, I see it. Yeah. And um, even today, when I finally pulled myself out of this, the doldrums, I called, uh, I called Noah just to see how he was doing. And actually my wife wrote to me, you know, call Noah and tell him you love him, which is weird. Uh, Cause I don't use usually, I don't know. It means something is going on. And he sounded like the way I felt just yesterday. Mm-hmm. And so, and I started to think, man, I hope he doesn't like have that same, you know, that fear, procrastination, anxiety that felt like it was built into my system, you know? Mm. But so I, I just tried to talk to him. I said, Noah, the way you're feeling right now is exactly how I felt 
for the last two days, I said, and, and I just talked to him about how I felt, you know, like, cause he could, you know, the same thing we do with other alcoholics. I mm-hmm. said, here's how I felt. And I said, and here's what I did to try and pull myself out of it. And I think it really went a long way, you know, uh, hopefully I'm not humanizing myself too much to him. You know, you still want to be yeah. dad, you know what I mean? Right. But right. I feel like those opportunities where you can commiserate and say, you know what? I went through that too. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, it makes me nervous. So if, if he's got this innate, like what if we're born with a, a type of anxiety and fear that makes you use, you know, and I pass that on, like, that's my, that's my fear. Uh, there you go. Another fear. Yeah. I mean, there's a limited, the thing that I've, I've come to realize, you know, with, with, you know, with my, my older son and is right. You can, you can really want something for someone and you can want, somebody to end up a certain way or you really, but, but you have no control over that. I mean, you can, you can, you can guide, you can suggest, right. but um, so I, I heard a, a quote last week that uh, resonated with me as somebody said that a hundred percent of the advice not asked for is criticism. And I was thinking, you know, yeah, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't agree. I mean, maybe I do. I mean, I'm just not following. A hundred percent of the advice you don't take uh, that you don't ask for that you don't ask for is criticism. Criticism by whom? Like if you if you are giving someone advice that they didn't ask for, you are criticizing them. I guess is a oh, different way to say that. I gotcha. Unsolicited advice is usually something my dad would do to uh, tell me I've gained weight or something. Yeah. You know, just pointing things I mean, I, out. I, you know, I don't know how germane that is when you're trying to set an example for your kids, but I guess my point ultimately is um, you can't, there's, you can control nothing except yourself. Aha. Uh-huh. That is a right? huge point. We could even end on that point. I don't want to, <laughs> but. Um, that That's like the, the, the North Star right here. Right. We just hit on this idea. And then what happens if you're a narcissist then? You're totally fucked. Right, because you have to accept that there's most of what's going on in your life is not under your control. Yeah, all of it. And those things, you have to just disabuse yourself of the notion that it's worth stressing about because there is nothing you can do. There's nothing you can right? do. And so that's a huge takeaway, I think. No one is in control. Yeah, you got to accept, I mean, for me, I'll speak for myself, when I'm super healthy mentally and spiritually, which I'm trying to get back to that, but I think in those terms, you know, like something is going on that I can't control, like the dog's like the barking. Dog. Yeah. Listen, what am I going to do? Run up there and kick, punt him into the sun? That's what I was considering. Um, but once you like really buy into your own bullshit, let's say, and, and say, I can't control it. There's nothing I can do. And it really doesn't make you anxious. Then you've gotten somewhere. And, yeah. I mean, you can never do it for everything, but I think that that's, that's like a huge takeaway. But it's extremely hard with, especially with your family, like, because you want to control, right? right? You, cause they're, you know, when the kids are very little, they just listen to you mm. and they do whatever you tell them and you get used to that, mm-hmm. you know? And then when they get older and they, they decide they don't yeah. want to listen to what you don't you're know telling so them much, anymore, Dad. all of a sudden <clears throat> it's very hard for you to sort of readjust the way you deal with them. And I think that's, it's a similar thing for a lot of other people in your life, like, you know, uh, spouses, whatever, you Mm. know, there's a lot of ways that I, things that I wish my wife would do differently. And I'm Mm. sure there's a lot of things that she thinks about that she wishes I would do differently. And the the surest way to unhappiness is to like get mad at somebody because they're not behaving it the way that you want them to behave. Ding, ding, ding. I'm so glad you said that. 
Oh, damn it. It's the wrong... There's sound. There it is. <laughs> um, I love that point because um, I've thought about this quite a bit. Like, um, it was, must have been a couple of weeks ago. I, I said something to my wife or I mentioned something or I told her about something I was doing that I thought was cool or something like that. And I didn't get the reaction I wanted. Mm. I know. Let's just say that much. It was not what I was hoping for in her reaction. And at first, I got really upset. You know, of course, I don't say anything. I just put my head down and walk away. But, you know, I was like, uh, she didn't give me what I was looking for. You know, but I didn't really tell her. How does she know what you're looking for? Right. (laughs) What the fuck does she know? She just thinks I was telling her about something that she doesn't care about. It's one of my hobbies, you know. And what I was looking for was... Not what she gave back, but it wasn't fair for me, and it didn't make sense for me to be upset about that. And but once I like thought about it, I'm like, you know what? I'm never going to be happy if I'm always expecting something that you know you're not going to get, right? And that you frankly haven't asked for, right? You know, and so that that was kind of a big um, uh, turning point in the way I, I was thinking about just my relationship. You know, like I, I have to be fair about what I expect, yeah, from a friend or a spouse or. The, cat. the flip side of that is when people do something um, that rubs you the wrong way, nine times out of ten, there's no intent behind that. You're talking about the foot spa? Oh, that's rubbing <laughs> you the right way. <laughs> I don't know. What goes on at that foot spa in town? Do you have any idea? Probably is, foot massages. It, yeah. <laughs> do you think that place is legit? Um, I'll tell you this. One day I was passing by and I saw a, a disheveled businessman with his hair messed up wandering out of there looking dazed. Huh. You think they drugged him and then gave him the old rub and tug? I don't know what they did, but he was certainly happy they did it. Huh. Interesting. That's all I Maybe know. they gave him a good foot job, <laughs> so to speak. But so, so like having unreasonable expectations yeah. for people is also an issue, right? Like, but even if they are reasonable to you, like for well, me, it's to you, to me, right? Yeah. Like my reasonable response would be, that's so cool, honey. I'm so happy that you're enjoying something stupid. You know, I just right. wanted to be pat on the back. That's all I right. ever want, you know, but it's unreasonable because she doesn't care about whatever the hobby is. And she doesn't know that I'm like yearning for this kind of pat on the back and this acknowledgement for something, you know, yeah, but everybody you know. loves, likes validation and, yeah. and, you know, good, good feelings. Right. I mean, but it is hard to have expectations and have them, you know, not met. Right. right. I mean, that's just. But my unhappiness was coming from the expectation, well, and, not what she was and, giving me back. And, and at that, at, I guess at the end of the day, we're each responsible for our own happiness. Right. Yes. Other people can't make you happy. Other people can't make you sad. I think uh, we should end the show on that. <laughs> it's, it, that's, that's the, the best point of the, uh, of the, of the day here. But you, it, you have to, you know, because, you know, and and I think this probably comes up a lot in like Al Anon, right? When you, you know people are who are married to addicts or have son, have sons and daughters who are just out there running amok, mm. you know, and it's driving them crazy. It's making them miserable. It's ruining their lives, mm-hmm. or is it? Or is or is or is or are they? Ruining or what is the them? Yeah. the basis of that? You mm. know? Yeah, they say detach with love. Right. I think a lot of Al Anon and monsters out there who are in Al Anon, you could chime in on this. Um, the detach with love and they talk a lot about, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, you know, not being able to control, you know, because it's very common, I'd say in relationships where there's one person suffering from addiction, that other person is constantly trying to control them because that's their way of 
trying to stop it or make it better. And it becomes this like really toxic environment for both people, you know, one being trying to be controlled, the other one. Now they might say to you, well, if I don't, you know, do this and, and, you know, check my husband's cell phone, he may be texting his heroin dealer. Okay. Well, guess what? If he's going to text his heroin dealer just because you're not looking at his phone, there is a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. That is not going to stop it. He's right. not your 14-year-old son, even though you might think he behaves like one. And um, yeah, just trying to be that adult to detach and say, you know what, it's your life, um, you know, and I'm going to support you when you're looking for it. You know, um, but that that's very tricky. A lot of people say they go to Al-Anon and then they get divorced because they're basically being told you need to get out, you know, protect yourself, protect your kids. Right. And, and that sort of thing. But yeah, you can only, only you can make yourself happy. Right. I mean, it is, it is a, it's, it's also a big ask if someone whose life is being basically destroyed by another person's act to just look abuse, the other way. To, well, because usually there's finances that are tied together and stuff. Right. So it's, it's easy for us to sit here and pontificate about how your happiness is your responsibility. But, you know, there are external forces that, you know, right. that you, you know. So what we're talking about here is really like getting to the point in your head where you can detach um, in general, like not just from a, a difficult situation, but you have to sort of look at the world with, with detachment. Yeah. You know, not not like an emotionless detachment, but um, just disconnect from the outside world for a, a little bit. Yeah, you know? and you, I find you get a I get a bird's eye view. You know, when I try and do that, I mean, it's meditation is what I'm talking about, right? Like to sit there and with with no distractions and try and put some space between you mm. and your the stimulus and the response, so you can sort of look at it in a different way. Yeah. I love it. Um, with that, I think we're going to cut it. Okay, yeah. Because we can, I feel like I we, mean, can we can talk about yeah, this on the dig, next dig show. Into this. But um, my, the big takeaway for me is uh, when we talked about fear and fear-motivated um, decisions mm-hmm. and um, b- being happy and accepting you know, your life as it is and learning to be happy with that, you know. And um, so what do you think? You recommend the book? I recommend it. I I think it's an entertaining listen. If you have any interest in recovery whatsoever, which most of you do, I hope, since you're listening to this podcast, I think you'll like it, especially if you've been through the 12 steps and you've experienced um, AA throughout your recovery. This is a really fresh, interesting, overly poetic, flowery you know, retelling basically. You really don't like stuff. this guy's, uh, I just, as an English major, I think you fu- you are offended by uh, the way he just, communicates. Uh, it's like, God, <laughs> you know, it's just on and on. And I get it. I get it. It's, you know, I have to be in the mood for it, but it, it's actually really well written as far as, you know, he does write mm, with I, a thesaurus. Listen to, to it. Listen to it because yeah. he, uh, the English accent is part of the, is the, of the pleasure. Yeah, and I couldn't pull off yeah. the cockneyed accent. I apologize for that. I'm working with my, uh, dialect coach now and uh, hopefully by next week <laughs> uh so with that um and the uh, with that uh recovery in the news nice <laughs> <laughs>
to show on the road. It's recovery in the news. Yeah, it's recovery in the news. What else would be in the news this week? Recovery. <laughs> recovery right. is indeed in the news. You know what I love about the news? It's recovery. Recovery. In it. Uh, I just dropped the outline, so I'm making word oh. word mouth noises until mouth. I get to the okay mouth noise. So uh, Slate.com is often often provides me with a number of interesting takes on things. Um, sometimes takes can be shitty, and sometimes there can be good takes. And you could take a shit even. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I thought you were going to give me the baboom. I almost did, mm. but I realized that I had a toilet. I'll um, learn the next one. So, unless you've been living under a rock, you probably realized that this week uh, Joe Biden pardoned uh, anybody who had been convicted of a federal crime involving marijuana. Simple possession. I, I have been say. living under a rock because this is the first I'm hearing of it. And, and when I read the album, Seriously? I really hadn't heard that. I've been so disconnected. So go huh. on. Give me the news. This is where I get all my news. So um, he pardoned, it was like 6,000 people who had been convicted of marijuana, previously been convicted of marijuana possession charges now. Um, and perhaps more importantly, he's starting to look at rescheduling marijuana from a Schedule One drug where it lives with such luminaries as... Um, cocaine? Co- no. Cocaine is actually a Schedule Two drug because hmm. it has a medical use, as does fentanyl, which is also a Schedule Two or a Three. Interesting. Um, marijuana and LSD and mushrooms and... All the good stuff. Something else is our Schedule One. The hippie drugs, because it was causing too much social disruption, so yeah. Nixon decided that he was going to put them in Schedule One drugs. And then he formed the DEA, and the rest is history. Dirty hippies. Anyway, um, Slate has a different... Ta- and, and, you know, stoners across the world rejoiced. But this doesn't do anything to um, affect the state convictions, right? Although Biden suggested in his um, speech that state governors follow his lead and expunge. So the Democrat ones will and the Republican ones won't. Maybe. I mean, you know, a cannabis issue tends to be cut across party lines. Yeah, because Republicans and Democrats alike all want to smoke pot. It's true. Um, <laughs> it's one thing they can get behind. That's uh, the only thing they agree on, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, Slate, the title of the Slate article is Why Biden's Marijuana Pardons Are Not Enough. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And it's funny thing about Biden, you know, I'm reading this story and I'm like, this fucking guy, you know, why does he hate pot so much? Like, you know, you know he just doesn't know anything about anything. He's an old guy. He's out of touch. <clears throat> and then I remembered that his son, Hunter... With a hell of a book, by the way. That yes. memoir, really. No, we tried really to get him on the show, but yeah, but it, was, it, it lined really up with the yeah. Dresner show. Yeah, um, him dealing with his son completely colored the way he sees drugs. Yeah, you know, it has. And to. so, for him to take even this step from a personal level had to be huge. Yeah, or or he just is completely incoherent and somebody said just say this on Thursday. I you mean, know, who knows? You know, from from the book that I read at the Hunter's book and from what I've heard, you know, in interviews and things like that, to me it sounds like at least the way it's being presented is that they have a very close relationship and they've talked a lot about the process of recovery and Hunter's become somewhat of an advocate. I know some of you out there, approximately 47% of you like hate him and think he's the worst, but right. um, from just a perspective, you strip away all of the political bullshit. I mean, he's an addict that got clean, you know, and it's a really, uh, it's a dark story. I mean, 
it, I'll put it up against any memoir. I mean, it's it's gritty. Did you read the book? Yeah. Oh, I listened to it, but... I'm going to listen to it. Um, it's very good, but, you know, uh, I think that Joe Biden probably does have a pretty good, if he hasn't forgotten it, um, I think he does have a, you know, because of Hunter, so... That's well, that, that's why thing. I think this was a difficult call for him, because he, you know, anything that makes drugs easier to, to access is probably not something he's going to be in favor of, and he's a teetotaler and a non-drug user, you know. And he's 82 or something. But I, I found the very interesting that Fox News chose this week to 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 release a uh, voicemail that Biden left on Hunter Biden's uh phone um a, a, yeah in in 2018 um the Daily Mail I guess was the first one that got it he he expressed love and concern for his son who was battling substance abuse addiction at the time uh it's dad I'm calling to tell you I love you I love you more than the whole world pal Biden said sounding emotional you got to get some help I don't know what to do. I don't. I know you don't either. Oh, Very supportive. Okay, they put a tear in my eye. Yeah, I mean, it's really the fact that Hannity tried to embarrass him with it is just deplorable. But that's that's another. No thing. kidding. Um, yeah, they really they go after him, and and it's it's so fucked. You, up. you don't like the policies. That's one thing, but you know, you know, the, the guy has substance use disorder, and he's conquered it, and he's trying to make a difference. His dad is now taking steps. You know, launching off of that. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's. A, so anyway, Slate uh, decides that, you know, on the heels of the old man doing a good deed and calling his son, they were going to kick him in the balls, too. Um, why Biden's marijuana pardons are not enough. Uh, no prisoners will walk free following President Biden's pardon last week of low-level marijuana offenders. As President Biden only has power to pardon federal offenders, and in recent years, the feds haven't been locking up people for possession. Meanwhile, the number of people federally convicted of trafficking and other more serious pot crimes fell from 7,000 in 2012 to just under 1,000 in 2021. It went from the Fed's most convicted drug to their least. Uh, the pardon benefits the roughly 6,500 Americans who have been previously convicted of federal possession who have served their time but have a conviction in their past which can block their access to employment, housing, student loans, and opportunities. Marijuana possession remains by far the country's most common drug charge. Arrests peaked at... How many people do you think in 2008 were arrested for marijuana in the United States? Oh, I'm going to take a wild guess that has probably no bearing on reality. Let's say 25,000. 800,000. What the? In 2008, Jesus. which is only 24 years ago. Uh, 14 years ago. <laughs> Sorry. <Right. laughs> it's late. Um, okay. 800,000. I remember in New York City, they were clocking 50,000 arrests a year for, for marijuana. And they would just put you through the system if they caught you with a joint. Yeah, um, it's fucked up. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's so messed up. Um, as with virtually everything related to drug prosecutions, people of color were far more likely to be punished. But the vast majority of these offenders went through the state justice systems over which Biden has no control. Uh, Biden urged governors to follow his example. Uh, as they have legalized marijuana, some states have taken measures to expunge past pot offenses, but others have not. Nationwide, hundreds of thousands of people could probably be pardoned if governors heed Biden's call. So Biden does have no power over that. <laughs> what he can do is reschedule the drug from a schedule one to a four or something and, and um, you know, try and push through legislation while he still has a Congress to do it. Mm. Um, legislation legalizing marijuana on the federal level. And I think it's, you know, whatever you think of marijuana or cannabis or whatever, or the, cannabinoids, whatever you want to say about it, you know, um, you know, should people be 
put in jail for using it. Uh, I think, no, I don't think I don't people think should so. be put in jail for trafficking it. I mean, some guy just got, um, he got like 15 years for driving a bunch of weed from Humboldt County to like a Southern state that it, where it wasn't legal and he got picked up by the feds and, and he got convicted for 15 years and that was just like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So you know, why are we putting people though. in jail for that? We shouldn't. Uh, and and our, they always talk about how overpopulated the jails are. It's always talked about that it's disproportionately, you know, minorities that are being arrested that are being, I'd like to say taken advantage of by a criminal justice system that just can't stop itself yes. from doing those it's things. Run, run amok. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the best thing. And I don't know, as far as releasing people who, you know, were, were arrested 15 years ago that are rotting in jail for possession, mm. they have to do that. Yes. I mean, you cannot leave those people in jail. It's not right. It's not. Um, Especially because now the government is in the, the state governments are in the pot business. They're collecting right. They're in California. Money. It's like a thirty-five percent tax, you know, that goes right into the state. Now, California, of course, I'm sure has expunged records and removed convictions, but you know, all the states where marijuana is legal should be doing the same thing. I agree. And that is recovery, recovery in the, the news. news. Yeah. yeah. Did I tell you I saw Jimmy Eat World? Did I already announce that on the show? No. I went to see a concert. I know I'm going back to life update, but <laughs> stuff is popping into my head. I went out with my wife on like a date. It's probably one of my favorite newer bands, Jimmy Eat World. I've been following them since I'm in college. I got to meet them wow. when I was in college because they were a small band. And my buddy, who's like a cool hipster guy, was you know arranging to have these indie rock shows. And mm. he got in touch with the Get Up Kids and uh, Jimmy Eat World got them to Hurley's at SUNY Potsdam. It was a oh. really small club. <laughs> and it was tiny. It was like 15 people there. I literally helped the guitarist off with his amp. They hung out in our dorm. Mm. They 100% would never remember me, but I remember them. Mm. And they're one of the best live bands. If you guys like Foo Fighters type stuff, man, Jimmy World has some solid records and, and they're amazing live. Great. So there you go. All right. They paid for that spot. We're uh, sponsored by Jimmy Eat World. <laughs> so just wanted to say that. Can we talk about ghosts now? Weekend weird. Yeah. 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 It is spooky season, guys. And what does that mean? There's ghosts. <laughs> there's monsters. There are beasts in every corner just creeping around, trying to scare us. And that leads us to <laughs> our, um, our latest Weekend Weird by Tim Benal. Ghost pushes dog across floor. I like how the title is a question. Like he's asking a question, and now the article is going to answer it. A spooky piece of footage circulating online appears to show a dog being pushed by an unforeseen force that sends the puzzled pooch sliding across the floor, and the animal's owner suspects that the strange shove could have come from a ghost. Sitting on a Roomba. A weird video was reportedly shared on Reddit by a user who explained <laughs> that the incident occurred, quote, and I quote, a few years ago, <laughs> while her son was playing with their dog, Tucker. In the footage, the animal appears to be agitated by something in the room that cannot be seen when suddenly it inexplicably slides along the floor and then looks back over its shoulder, seemingly to see whatever had just pushed him. According to Tucker's owner, the family did not notice 
the weird occurrence until they later watched the video. Though, it was also not altogether surprising since their home had been the site of some eerie paranormal activity in the past. Specifically, she recalled seeing someone exit the bathroom out of the corner of her eye and, thinking it was her daughter having gotten out of bed, discovered that not only was the youngster sleeping, but there was no explanation for the eerie interloper she had just noticed. The subsequent day, her husband had a similar experience, wherein he passed... This fucking lawyer writing I love this. Wherein he passed by their bedroom and saw what he thought was his wife. But then realized, there's so many ways you could joke on that mm. one, but then realized that she was actually in the kitchen. The family ultimately moved out of the house and the spooky activity did not follow them, which led the woman to muse that, and I quote, we definitely had something else living there with us in their home. As such, she suspects that this resident spirit could have been responsible for her dog's strange slide across the floor. Skeptical observers, here of we go. Course, Here's the real reason. Ends with this. We'll contend that the animal's movement was a merely natural occurrence, and no paranormal explanation is necessary for the purported push. Check the video; it'll be in the show notes. And, <laughs> yeah, um, will it? Will it really? You know, what do you guys think? Uh, I mean, like I said, it's spooky season. I don't know if you guys know this. I grew up in a haunted house. It is legit. I'm not the only one who's experienced it. It is haunted. I even got an EVP there. I should play it on the show. An electronic voice phenomenon where you talk to the ghost and you press record. Uh-huh. So I can commiserate with these people having their dog being pushed by a ghost because, you know, I grew up with ghosts. I think it's just a bunch of hillbillies looking for uh, publicity. Ooh. The dog's name is what? Tucker? Tucker. Get in the truck, Tucker. I named him after <laughs> my favorite, Tucker Carlson. <laughs> he likes UFOs. <laughs> Um, and that uh, hates Biden. Every time Biden's <laughs> name comes on the TV, barks up a storm. Uh, we lose uh, ten listeners every time <laughs> I do that. And that was week in weird. Holy crap! That about <laughs> does it for today, folks. I had a great time. Did you? Uh, yes, I certainly did. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so um, much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us a twat. You twit. Support you your favorite show. That's us. Drop a five-star review. Join a private Facebook group. Buy a t-shirt or because we know it works now. Yeah. It works. Somebody bought one. The, the website works. We don't. Extra fat um, people especially welcome because I... We do have yeah, some a lot of triple, triple XLs around. We have some uh, si- smaller sizes, though. We well. love our big monsters. You know, we've got something for everyone. Right. Uh, we love meeting new monsters and chopping it up on the Facebook group. Join the Inner Sanctum at patreon.com slash recovery in the middle eight. Recovery in the middle ages for a higher level of support. And Ryan, if you're out there. We love you. We love you. I love you. Um, hang in there, guys. Um, this is a, a tricky time, I think, for everybody. And we got to stick together. Uh, learn from my mistakes. Reach out if you're having a rough time or or Mike. Just reach out. We're out there. The Facebook group. Reach around. Reach around and I will pull. take a reach around from anyone. <laughs> don't, no, don't, I'm kidding. Just don't kiss me in the mouth. <laughs> All right. You didn't pay for that. And as we say. Oh, no. And finally, the best way to help the show <laughs> is to share it with a friend. If you get something out of our little show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. Hit the share button and share it. make people listen. Share it. Uh, and as we say, non proficiat perfectum. That's progress, not perfection. See you next time. Stay fresh, cheese, cheese bags. bags. Bye. Bye.